Good morning, everyone. While we're still in Easter, um, for us as Catholics, the church has always made the season of Easter to be 50 days. And I think that's a really important thing for us to recognize because if we lived Lent the way we're called to live Lent, if we entered into it, Lent seems like forever sometimes, doesn't it? You think, oh my gosh, how did Lent go six months this year? Crazy. Um, it's because you gave up coffee and you shouldn't do that. But Easter is 50 days. It's not over. You and I are living in the joy and the light of the, ris- the risen Christ. Uh, beautiful thing. And, and at this time of year, our readings today are very much about joy. And it's a wonderful time for us to enter into that. Uh, to enter into the nature of what it means to be joyful. Now you've heard me say before, if you go to Mass here, uh, you've probably heard me say before, there's nothing worse than a joyless Christian. If you're a Christian and you're a curmudgeon, something's wrong. You see, Christians, the the deepest longing of of a human heart is to be loved and to love. That's the deepest thing every single one of us desires. And oftentimes when people are kind of, you know, curmudgeons, isn't that a great word, by the way? I love that word. Thank you, Minnesota. Um, People are curmudgeons because they're scared that they're not loved. Or maybe somehow they've grown incapable of loving others. But you and I as Christians... We know that we are loved unconditionally, infinitely. We have a purpose in life that through the love of Jesus Christ, you and I have been freed to love others. And so to meet a Christian who doesn't have joy is an oxymoron. And when we meet those people, Christianity dies. And it's, it, they become a, a counter sign to the gospel. So what does it mean to have joy? And how is it that you and I, how can we be people, not just to have joyful moments, but how can we become joyful people? Think about a joyful moment in your life. I remember when, uh, when I was ordained. It's a funny thing when you get ordained. When you're in seminary, you go to all these ordinations all the time. You kind of almost get sick of them. Probably not Deacon Sean, because he's a better man than I am. But... I remember I always served ordinations. And you go to the cathedral all the time. And I was always doing incense. And seminarians kind of fight over incense because it's like the cool thing to do, just like the boys, you know. They're like, yeah, fire. Um, And some of my best friends and I were sitting in the front pew. And I remember looking into the sanctuary and somebody else was doing incense. And I was kind of like, what the H-E double hockey sticks? Like, why are they doing it? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting ordained. Like, today's my day, wow. But that day, if, if some of you were there, I was kind of embarrassed about it, and, but I, I was so filled with joy, I just couldn't contain my smile. 
And it was almost like too much, but I just couldn't stop. And I was, I, you look out at the congregation, and, and I wanted to kind of be a little more serious, but I just couldn't be. It was such an amazing moment. Proper to joy is song. St. Augustine has that great line. He says, rationality has words, but only the lover sings. Rationality has words, but only the lover sings. Joy properly expresses itself in song. You just can't contain yourself. And people who are joyful, they tend, they love singing. My roommate in college, this guy, Nate Driscoll, before I had really had my conversion, I remember he was just always singing. I was like, what's wrong with you? But he was, just, he was joyful. Life was good. God loved him. Little kids, right? You ever notice how little kids, they don't usually say things. They just start, they make up songs all the time. And they walk around and they sing and they don't care what anybody thinks because they're joyful. In our second reading today, heaven in Revelation chapter 5, it says that they sang a new song. They sing a new song. And that happens numerous times in Revelation. For instance, in, in the book of Revelation chapter 14, it says this. And it's talking about those who are redeemed. It says they sing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except those who had been redeemed from the earth. You see, to enter into song and enter into joy, you have to have that. And so those who have been redeemed, they sing a new song that no one else can sing. And brothers and sisters, you and I don't think about this enough. Think about heaven. Think about eternal joy. Eternally, Jesus, to be with you, the one who loved me, who redeemed me, to be with all those other people who love you, we won't be able to contain ourselves. And to know that that joy will, will never go away. Of course the redeemed in heaven sing a new song. We need to dream about that more. We need to realize, brothers and sisters, that's our destiny. If you love God, if you are trying to be obedient to Jesus Christ as he commands us to do, if you're doing those things, brothers and sisters, even with your sins and failures, you're going to go to heaven. You will have joy for all eternity. That's your destiny. There's nothing worse than a curmudgeon Christian because they've forgotten who they are and they've let the world drag them down when they have everything. How do we do that? You know, in this world, it's so hard, isn't it? We, we forget that. And I do it too. And there's different levels of joy in this life. Or maybe we should say, when we want to feel good, which we all want to feel good, there, there's kind of three ways that we can do that in this life. The first way is the most basic. And it's the one we normally operate out of. And that's the level of pleasure. And pleasure is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. 
right? It's, it can be all kinds of things. It can be food and drink. It can be a good workout. I know some of you think that's a lie and that's masochistic, but it's true. You can feel really good after a good hard workout. It's entertainment. It's uh, friendly conversation. There are different pleasurable things. That's the lowest level, though. And it has to do with our bodies. Pleasure has to do with the body. The next level is what we call maybe the level of happiness. And happiness is a little bit more enduring. Uh, pleasure comes and goes, right? You finish your bowl of pasta and it's gone. And you, you know, cry out against God that it's gone. But, but it, it was great while it lasted. Happiness... You don't always feel the same sensation you feel with pleasure, but happiness endures. And that's the level of morality. All of Western civilization, Christianity and pagans alike, for most of world history, have all said, if you want to be happy, live a moral life. That's the purpose of morality. Right? If you're someone who's forgiving and merciful, if you tell the truth, if you're just to other people, if you're kind, those are happy people. But if you're immoral, if you lie and steal and cheat and you're greedy uh, and you're sexually immoral, you're going to be miserable. The purpose of morality is happiness. So that's the second level. But you weren't really made for either of those. You were made for joy. And joy, brothers and sisters, joy only comes on the spiritual level. Joy comes not from just good habits of morality, nor from moments of pleasure. Joy comes at the deepest center of your heart and soul. When you encounter love and truth and beauty and goodness. That's what you were created for. So St. Thomas Aquinas has this amazing quote. For those of you who are new here, let me let you know a secret. I rewrite my homily every Sunday morning. So last night, my homily was okay, but I didn't like it. So I tossed it out. This morning, I, I wrote a new one in my holy hour. And I was praying, and I ran across this quote from St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas says this. He says, No man can live without joy. Isn't that true? If you don't have joy in your life, it doesn't matter. Everything could be going right. But if you don't have that joy, just life becomes drudgery. No man can live without joy. That is why one deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal, carnal pleasures. Listen to that again. I think this is an absolute key to understanding what it means to be a human being. No man can live without joy. That is why one who is deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. So people who are not living moral lives, the answer is not to beat them up. You see, they want joy, and no one can live without joy. And you know what pleasure is? It's a substitute for joy. If you don't experience that deep, life-giving, I don't know what to call it, life inside of you that you were made and created for, 
you're going to search for something to take its place. So let me give you an example. Last night, I was just not, I wasn't in a terrible mood, but I was like, just kind of like, I'm kind of lonely and, and like, I should probably go pray, but I don't want to. So the heck with you, Lord. And I was sitting reading and I was reading this book and it was very good, but I just didn't want to read. I was just kind of like in that mood where you're just like, ah. And then I remembered in the freezer, there is cheesecake raspberry gelato. And let me tell you, it was amazing. <laughs> if you have not experienced Talenti raspberry cheesecake gelato, wow. <laughs> what did I do there? I wanted to feel good. I wanted that spiritual joy. And so I'd do something to get it. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with eating gelato. But pleasure, the physical pleasure, is so much easier, isn't it? You can get it when you want it. We do that with all kinds of things. We do it with food. We do it with alcohol. We do it with sex. We do it with all kinds of things. But if you think that's what you were made for, you're mistaken. You're mistaken. You're missing the point. No man can live without joy. That is why one who is deprived of spiritual joy goes over to carnal pleasures. Is that not our society? A society who has forgotten God, who has forgotten that it was made for something deeper, for love, for beauty, truth, and goodness. And it doesn't experience those things, so it substitutes. If you want to be a Christian, brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with a moral problem in your life, there's a certain level of discipline that's just necessary. That is true. Sometimes you've just got to say no to yourself. But the real answer is not that. The real answer is to find joy in him. And when you find the real thing, you don't need the substitute. A lot of Christians use the example of when the sun rises, you no longer need flashlights. You have the real thing. This is why, by the way, so our first reading, in our first reading, the apostles go and they go behind, go before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council. And you know what happened? You remember listening? It was the, the Sanhedrin physically beats them. They're physically beaten for proclaiming the gospel. And they walk away and the, and the Acts of the Apostles chapter 5 says that the apostles rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer dishonor on account of the name. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get beaten, by the way, don't do that. <laughs> You're going to hell if you beat up a priest. I'm just telling you. Um, <laughs> if I was beaten up, I don't think I would walk away with joy. But the apostles did. Why? Because joy is not dependent on physical pleasure. It's deeper. It's when a soul encounters truth and goodness and beauty and love. Now, I want to apply this this morning to our gospel of St. Peter. And this is, this is probably my favorite gospel that exists. I know I say that every week almost, but I really mean it this time. John 21 is so powerful. And, and I want you to think about the joy of St. Peter. 
So St. Peter, the, the, history doesn't repeat itself. This is a Mark Twain line. He says, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. And history in Peter's life rhymed. Because where we're at in our gospel today is the Sea of Galilee. And think about the life of Peter. There's a parallel scene in Luke chapter 5. In Luke 5, Jesus calls Peter. And Peter's on the shore, and Jesus gets into his boat and he says, have you caught anything? And Peter says, no, we, we fished all night, but we didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, well, we'll put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter does, and they catch this enormous catch of fish. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for men. Fast forward to where we're at today. A very similar scene. They're at the exact same spot. They're on the Sea of Galilee, the very spot Jesus called Peter. Peter goes out and Jesus calls from the shore and he says, children, have you caught any fish? And there's seven apostles. That's an important number, but we don't have time for it. There's seven disciples there. And they say no. And Jesus says, let down your nets. And they catch this huge catch of fish. And St. John, who was there at the beginning, turns to Peter and he says, it is the Lord. Remember, remember the last time we were here and the same thing happened? It's the Lord. And they go ashore and Peter three times affirms his love for Christ. Why? Now think about this. Peter had denied Christ three times. And here's what I want you to think about. Peter's story is our story. Imagine what it would be like to know that you were loved by that man you spent three years walking with him. You came to believe he was the savior of the world. And you denied him. And you left him to die. That's what happened. And Peter doesn't know what to do, so he goes back to fishing because he says, what else am I going to do? I've denied the savior of the world. I failed to love. And here in John 21... This is the beauty, brothers and sisters, this is our story. Not only is Peter restored, Jesus makes him the head of the church again. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter is restored as the head of the church, the one who feeds the sheep of Christ. And imagine that experience, right? This is my story. All of us, so many times, Jesus calls us, and he said, he said to me a certain day, he said, Brian, come follow me. And I said, all right, Lord, I'll try. And it was filled with joy and happiness. And over time, as Christians, you feel like you fail. And you think, Jesus, I have not lived up to who you called me to be. I haven't been that priest. I have not been that man. But the one who conquered death, who conquered sin, who died for us, breaks into my life. And he says, Brian, I know you haven't lived up to it, but I love you anyways. I love you anyways, and I still want you to go on mission with me. There's nothing better than that. 
There's nothing worse than a curmudgeon Christian. Now, I've always been weird. You know that about me. I'm still weird. Always going to be, maybe in heaven I will be less strange. Before I was a priest, did you ever have this? You guys should all do this. I love going to coffee shops, and before I was a priest, this joy we're talking about, every person you ever meet was made for that. Everyone. They were made to be loved, to know that Jesus loves them, and to be on mission with him. And I used to get so caught up in this thought, I'd be at coffee shops, and I'd just get, I'd keep a watch. And I'd look around, and I'd just be like, I wonder, I wonder if they know Do they know how much they're loved? Do they know they're supposed to sing a new song in heaven for all eternity? Do they know what their life is about? And then they'd look over and see me stare at them, and I'd be like, oh, sorry. (laughs) It's really awkward when it happens and you have your collar on as a priest. And I'm like, don't worry, I'm not hitting on you. I'm taken, right? Like, not an Anglican priest. I'm a Catholic priest. Like, we can't marry. Um, This is for everyone. We should have that as Catholics. One question I had to ask you. Who could, does anybody know 153 fish? St. John tells us Peter caught 153 fish. Why? What is it? I shouldn't ask you. You're going to know. 153, that's right. It's, it's correlate to that. Every Mass, people have gotten the answer right, and it's really ticking me off because <laughs> I don't want people to get the answer wrong. We know in the time of Christ, the Greeks had cataloged all the fish in the sea that they had caught. And there were 153. In Luke 5, Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisher of men. That net, brothers and sisters, is the church. The early Christians always said, if you want to be in the boat that has Jesus in it, Make sure you're in Peter's boat. The gospel's for everyone. When you know you're loved, when you have a joy that the world can't take away, you've been forgiven by someone who loves you infinitely, when you look forward and you say, my destiny is to live eternally, singing the new song, loving God for all eternity, when you have that joy that is unlike anything the world can give, brothers and sisters, the nations come into the net of St. Peter. And every man, woman, and child belongs in the church that Christ founded. But it only happens when you and I realize what we've been given, when we stop being curmudgeon Christians, when we have the joy of the risen Christ. song to him who sits on 
Thank you. 